Good morning. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter of Romans 8 this morning, but I'm going to read right now verse 1 and verses 28 through 32. Romans 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for this time that we can turn our attention to you. God, we know that we should have our attention on you all the time, but the worries of this world and the stress and the anxiety and the pain and the trials and even the good things in this world draw our attention away from you over the course of a week. And God, I thank you that we have this time here this morning that we can come face to face with your word and come face to face with this chapter that proclaims you and proclaims your promises and guarantees glory for those who are your children. God, I pray that this would be a time that you would reset our attention and our affections and our focus totally and completely on you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have the privilege of teaching regularly with the high school group as well as our young adults group here in the church. And uh, I guess over the years, I have become kind of predictable. Um, I tend to uh, ask discussion questions in the course of teaching. And uh, when I ask questions, almost always it seems that the answer to whatever I ask falls into one of three categories. So often I'll ask a question of the group and be looking for a response, and the right answer very many times is... Jesus. Jesus is almost, is always the right answer. Other times, though, I'll be asking a question, I'll be looking for something specific, and the answer to that question will be found in... The next verse. I have a tendency, I'll ask a question, and then the answer to the question is found in the very next verse that we're reading. But lots of times, I'll ask a question, and the answer to the question is found in... Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. And uh, that's what we're here to, uh, to look at this morning. Um, let me put it this way. Um, if I knew I had one Sunday left to live, and I got to preach on that Sunday... I would preach Romans chapter 8. I have uh, been starting our time with the high schoolers each week for the last couple of months as we've uh, been diving into Romans chapter 8. I've started by telling them that I believe that Romans chapter 8 is the most important, universe-defining, life-changing chapter in the Bible. Now, I know that might be a strong statement. You might have your own favorite chapters, but I really believe this is important stuff in this chapter. And so I'm excited to be able to open that up here this morning. The truth of this chapter changes everything. 
like sight would to a blind man or hearing would to somebody who's deaf. Romans chapter 8 and the truth that's in it affects every aspect of life. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul outlines God's ultimate plan for all those who belong to him. And he explains how everything that happens fits into that plan. This passage proclaims God's greatest promises to those who belong to him and how he, through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, guarantees the fulfillment of those promises. So as a high school group, we spent eight weeks going through Romans chapter 8. Buckle your seatbelts because we're going to go through Romans chapter 8 now in about eight minutes. Um, And when I'm done, the high school group's going to return and they have a special presentation for the rest of the service on Romans chapter 8. But I want to give to you here this morning eight life-changing truths from Romans chapter 8 in about eight minutes. So we're going to get started with uh, point number one or truth number one is Romans chapter 8 provides the foundation for our eternal joy. Romans chapter 8 provides the foundation for our eternal joy. Verse 1, as we already read, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's important because there should be condemnation. There should be condemnation. Paul just spent seven chapters telling us why we should be condemned, that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and that there is none who is righteous, not even one, and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. Then he says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he goes on and explains how through the death and resurrection of Jesus that God condemns Jesus in our place when we put our faith in him and that we get the righteousness of Jesus so that we stand before God covered in the righteousness of Jesus and we are righteous before God. We are justified before God. So when Paul comes to Romans chapter 8, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's saying, although there should be condemnation, if you're in Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This echoes what Jude says in Jude 24, where he writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. You see, we're all going to stand in the presence of the glory of God at some point. We will be in the presence of the glory of God. And either that moment will be the most terrifying, horrific moment that ever will exist, because we'll be under the judgment and condemnation rightfully of God, or we will be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus and we will stand before him blameless. And then the really cool thing about that verse is it says, with great joy. It's not a moment of terror or horror, but we are in the presence of the author of all things that are good, the author of all joy, the author of everything, and we stand in his presence blameless with great joy. He is the source of all of our joy and will be the source of all of our joy for eternity. And so Romans chapter 8, verse 1, when he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, sets the foundation for our eternal joy. But then number two, uh, Romans chapter 8 explains our total depravity apart from the Holy Spirit in our lives. Verse 8 says, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh are unable to please God. We are helpless in our flesh before God. We are unable to please God. But then that moves us to point three. That Romans chapter eight explains how God moves us from wrath that we deserve to adoption. 
Romans 8 shows us how we are moved from wrath to adoption. Verse 9, which coincidentally comes right after verse 8 that says that in the flesh we cannot please God. Paul says in verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's a big thought, isn't it? That the Spirit of God dwells in you. If the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now watch this, verse 11. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, let's not just rush past that. Paul is saying, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's, that's a really big deal. And the end of his sentence is, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells you. The Holy Spirit indwells his people, his children, and it changes everything. We cannot be the same people in the flesh as we are when the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in us. So what does this have to do with adoption? is the Holy Spirit has the ministry of bringing us to adoption as children of God. Verse 14, For you who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, He changes us. We are changed from the inside out, and as a part of that, we are adopted into the family of God, and we come, and we can come before God and say, Abba, Father, and we are children of God. And verse 17 says, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance as children of God, and this inheritance defines who we are as God's children. And all of this is the work of the Holy Spirit that he accomplishes through us, bringing our, our dead selves, who we are dead, and our inability to please God in our flesh brings us to life. That brings us to point four, that Romans chapter eight puts suffering in perspective. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The suffering that we experience, the pain, the heartache, the disappointment, the disease, the trials, all of that does not compare with the glory that is to come, with the inheritance that is promised to us. And when our eyes are fixed and we understand what that inheritance is, any suffering we go through in this life pales in comparison. I ask the, uh, the high schoolers sometimes, I wonder what's on your calendar for 6,432 years from today. Because you're going to be doing something and 6,432 years from today, if you are in the glory of God and the new heaven and the new earth and basking in his presence, you're not going to be caring a whole lot that your brother spilled something on your favorite shirt or whatever even massively more in suffering that there might be. The biggest suffering that we can even think of is not going to compare with the glory that is to come to us 6,432 years from now and then thousands of years and millions of years beyond that for all of eternity. It just isn't going to to compare. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But the promise that is given to us is that we have an inheritance and all that is God's becomes ours. What does God own? God owns everything. God owns the world, so the world is our inheritance. Now, our natural response should be if we look around the world and say, this world is broken, what kind of an inheritance is that? And how is that going to make the suffering that I have pale in comparison. 
Well, I'm glad that you asked because point five is that Romans 8 explains why the world is broken, but that there is hope. Verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it. Creation is subjected to futility. God cursed the world. God cursed the earth because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Sin entered the world. The world was cursed, and it was because God did it. But God has a plan through that, and so that's why the last two words of verse 20 say, In hope. There is hope because God is still in control. Verse 21, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation will be set free from this corruption. God is going to make it right. God is going to restore creation to what he intended it to be. There is hope that God is going to make all things right. And so we know the world is broken. We can see that it is broken, but there is hope. Point number six out of Romans 8 is that Romans 8 is the basis for our longing for eternity with Jesus. See, God's going to make all things right, and he makes us right to enjoy all things that he's making right. Verse 23, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. This is a clue as to what's coming, that we are going to have redeemed bodies, glorified bodies, bodies that can enjoy and bask in and and explore and be a part of the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth that God will give to us that will be absent of the contamination of sin and will be there for our everlasting eternal enjoyment. And we have new bodies that do that. And and we have new bodies that have a greater capacity for joy. We don't hit a limit on the joy that we can experience. But in God's presence, our new bodies have a greater capacity that breaks through that. And we experience joy that we never knew was even possible in these sin-contaminated bodies. And so it's our basis for longing for eternity with Jesus. We long for that that day as we ourselves groan waiting eagerly for that time. Point seven is that Romans 8 establishes God's absolute sovereignty in all things. Familiar verse, verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Everything that happens in this world for God's children is for the purpose of bringing us to glory, to bring us to eternal joy in Christ. Everything that happens all around us, in us, and through our lives is for the purpose of bringing us to that point of eternal joy glory and eternal joy in Christ. And God is sovereign. Nothing will stop him from accomplishing that. Nothing gets in the way. That's why Paul says in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Nothing can thwart God's plan. Verse 32, he who didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? God will deliver what he has promised. And if you are a child of God, eternity in glory is guaranteed. And point eight is Romans 8 anchors our total security. We are secure in Christ. He is the one who holds on to us. Verse 38 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. We are locked in, sealed, and there's nothing that can get in the way of God's love for us and his promise to us to bring us to glory and to relationship with him when we are his children. That's eight points, Romans 8. That's very fast. 
We're going to spend a little bit more time going through that uh, with the whole group, but I wanted you to have an overview of the whole chapter before we launch into what's happening next. So the high schoolers have a special presentation on Romans 8 that they're going to begin here in just a moment, but I want to give you a little bit of guidance as to how to be here in the service for the rest of the service. Uh, This is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to give you a warning at first. If you're waiting for this to end in just a few minutes, it's not going to. Um, This is going to go for a while, so settle in. Um, I want to uh, let you know there's going to be things happening all over the room. Um, You are welcome to look around and try to figure out what's going on, but if you do that for the entire time, you're going to have a very sore neck. So at some point, um, be content to sit and uh, be washed by the truth of Romans 8. Our goal is for you to take a Romans 8 shower this morning and to be completely covered by all that is in Romans 8 in every sensory way possible. And so we will see uh, how how that goes today. I would encourage you to keep your Bible open to Romans chapter 8 and follow along um, if you'd like. And uh, there's going to be singing and lots of stuff going on, but if they're singing and you want to sing along, feel free to sing with them. Um, But uh, this is our high school group's presentation of Romans chapter 8. We are prone to spiritual amnesia. That's why we require a daily dose of scripture to remind us of what's true. Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So today, we drink the life-saving, soul-satisfying antidote that is the word of God. Today, we look at Romans 8. A universe-defining chapter. An eternity-determining chapter. Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What precedes Romans 8? And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. 
And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You have no excuse. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself for the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. Sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. The wages of sin is death. I had no Eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God remains holy and condemns sin by condemning Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sing with us, hallelujah. Hallelujah. says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory dominion and authority before all time and now and forever mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself toward the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. The mind, those that on the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy lost demons. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? These for sin could not atone. Thou must but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Nothing in my hand. 
Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. flesh I cannot please God I can only sin but the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gives me life that spirit holds on to me keeps me saves me and makes me a child of God The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. Come praise and glorify our God, the Father of our Lord. In Christ he has in heavenly realms his blessings on his poor. For pure and he destined us to be, and now we've been adopted through His Son eternally. To the praise of Your glory, to the praise of Your mercy and grace, to the praise of Your glory. fellow heirs with Christ. Like a firstborn son, we have an inheritance from God. Come praise and glorify our God, for we believe the word. And through our faith we have a seal, the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit guarantees our hope. To the praise of your glory, to 
What is our inheritance? The world, the earth, and all that is in it, the nations, all things. This means that everything that exists will serve your happiness for all of eternity. Nothing will ultimately trump your joy. All things belong to you means that even the negative things will serve you in the end. All things belong to you, even life and death. As Paul told the Corinthians, all things will serve your everlasting joy. Our inheritance is that God will deliver to us eternal joy in everything. To the praise of your glory, to the praise of your mercy and grace, to the praise of your glory, you are the God who Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and as children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Our inheritance makes any suffering in this life seem minuscule compared to what eternity holds for the children of God. In all our suffering and disappointment, Jesus is lovingly crucifying our false hopes and joys that they might be resurrected as true ones. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, God told them, Cursed is the ground because of you. As we live life, we inherently know that something is wrong. We know that this is not how it's supposed to be. 
The ache we all feel is starkly and hauntingly expressed in a written letter by the brilliant former atheist Bertrand Russell. The center of me is always and eternally a terrible pain, a curious wild pain, a searching for something beyond what the world contains, something transfigured and infinite, the beatific vision, God, I do not find it, I do not think it is to be found, but the love of it is my life. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates the world from God. So we are broken. The world is broken. But something in us knows that it is all broken. Something in us longs for God and longs for Him to make it right. Often, though, we are slumbering. We need to wake up and smell the new earth that is coming. We need to taste the coming resurrection. The doctrines and resurrection and the new earth mean that this present world, though suffering under sin and curse, is bursting with clues foretaste of what is to come. new bodies and we will find ultimate pleasure in what God has made and given to us. We will continually rejoice in Him. So we wait eagerly for that day. God will make us fully new, redeeming our bodies to be free from sin and fully capable of experiencing total joy in His restored creation. Just as labor pains in childbirth signal the arrival of great joy in the immediate future, so do the trials of our lives signal that a time is coming for great joy. So we set our hope on this truth. And I will be made right when you appear. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
The Holy Spirit works on our behalf, helping our weakness and strengthening our hope, preparing our souls for the day that is coming of glorification. is all things all, all things. things to work together for good God works everything in life to make us look like Jesus and looking like Jesus is what will allow us to stand in the presence of his glory blameless and full of great joy that is good so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. In Christ, we have been called according to God's purpose, and his purpose is to conform us to the image of his Son. If you were a child of God, it is because God planned for you to be saved in eternity past, to be made like Christ. All things work for your good. God sees to it because he foreknew you, predestined you to glory with Christ, called you when you were dead in trespasses and sins, and is justifying and justified you by his grace through faith alone and is now glorifying you little by little until the day of his coming when you will be redeemed with a body like Christ's glorious resurrection body. He planned that our salvation would lead to glorification and so our security does not depend on our ability to stay saved but on God's ability to keep his promises. In that glory, we will inherit the earth and perfectly enjoy God forever. Soul is anchored to heaven's holy veil. For Christ, the great high priest, died in my stead. Oh, fast, God's promise will never fail. We are His for Christ, is risen from the dead. Oh, when no angel can keep me from here, my hope in heaven is steadfast and firm. My hope in heaven is steadfast and firm. We live in light of our great king's return. We 
are promised glory. Glorified bodies to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. Glorified bodies with a greater capacity for joy than our sinful bodies. Glorified bodies that are made to enjoy God and all that He creates for us without the contamination of sin. Now, all those who long to join their Savior in heaven's endless days, a glorious time will come when all join the song. In one God voice, may Jesus Christ be praised. Your steadfast love will lead us through the tempest. Spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? God causes all things to work together for good. If God is for us, who is against us? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. If God is for us, who is against us? Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. If God, God is for us, who is against us? Nothing will stop God from delivering all his promises to his children. He who is greater than all has promised all to his children. Deliver us to glory and full joy in Him. Guaranteed, nothing can stop Him. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who 
Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. We overwhelmingly conquer. Jesus is mine, all the forces of glory divine, air of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This way of glory pulls on my soul, longing for who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. For I am convinced for I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For I am convinced that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For I am convinced He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? For I am convinced that neither death, nor nor things present, nor nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
sword and shield The troubles linger still Whom shall I
Our times are in God's hands. Your life is in God's hands. And uh, nothing formed against you can stand if you are in Christ, if you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus apart from anything you can do on your own, you believe He shed His blood for you, you believe He died on the cross, you believe He was buried and He rose again, and you believe He's coming back. And if, if that's you, nothing can touch you. I hope you are convinced. I hope that you don't think that our enemy, the devil, can somehow weasel his way in and steal you away from Jesus because Jesus says that um, he knows his sheep and, and, they, and he knows them by name and, and they hear his voice and, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, Jesus says. So if any of you are thinking right now, you know, but in my case, maybe, maybe there's a loophole. Not if you're in Christ. Not if you're in Christ. Some of you have some, some things you don't know what's going to happen next. And, and you're wondering, and you're, and you're doubting, and maybe you're, maybe you're tempted to, to, um, to kind of give, just throw in the towel. Don't give up. Your hope in Christ is settled, it is sure, it is secure, it is, it, it, it's, it's real. And... God has promised good to those who are in Christ. And He is working all things together for good to those who love Him. Thank you, students, for reminding us again and again and again. It's amazing what God does by His Spirit through His Word. Even reading the Word up on the screen, even. And seeing God's Word up there and hearing it sung. And Matthew giving us the eight life-changing truths from Romans 8. So, um, stand strong in Christ, knowing that you don't keep yourself in Christ. He keeps you. Alright? If you don't know Christ, I hope that being around a bunch of people who love Jesus will make you want, want to know more. And, I, and I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit draws you, drives you to faith in Christ. If you want to know and talk about that to anyone. I'll be up here and others will be around, okay? I want to end this service in prayer, but I want to say thank you to the students. Three services is a lot. All day yesterday and Friday night and uh, early this morning. They got here so early this morning. Uh, It's a lot. So you should take a nap today, okay? Take a nap. I like taking naps on Sunday afternoon, but today I didn't preach, so I don't get to take a nap, all right? So you get to take the naps, all right? Matthew, take a nap today. Winston, all right? Matthew Holbrook, where are you? Take a nap today. Yeah, he's taking a nap today. Okay. Last thing I want to do while we pray, I want, we, I want to bless our students. We need to bless our students. I ask particularly to come up here and do this at the end because I want to pray for all of our students that are in school. How many of you are in school? Raise your hand if you're in school. Okay? Keep it raised if you love it. Okay? All right. Those of you, how many of you are glad you're not in school anymore? All right? But school is a big part of your life, especially when you're young. So whether you're in preschool or elementary or junior high or high school or college, we want to pray for you. And we want to pray for your teachers, uh, whether you're, you know, public school, private school, home school, and, and all who lead you in that. And, and we've got a bunch of college students that are starting or have started or have already taken off to different parts of the country, okay? So let's stand.
And we're going to pray. And then we'll be dismissed. And everyone in the top front two rows will go take naps. All right. Lord God, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your extreme mercy and grace that goes beyond our ability to even tell it. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And thank you, Lord, that we have true joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that our confident assurance and our our hope is in Christ. Thank you that we have that assurance that all will be made right when Christ returns. And thank you that you have promised and that you keep your promises and that you work everything in life to make us more like Christ. Thank you for the joy in trials. And thank you, Lord, for the joy that you give us. Thank you for our students, Lord. They are the most awesome students in the world. And we thank, we thank you for them as their parents, as their grandparents, as their brothers and sisters in Christ, and as their brothers and sisters in families, and as their friends. And Lord, we pray that you would bless them. And Lord, as they start school, Lord, or those that have already started, those that are going to start, Lord, we pray for our college students, those that are far away, away from home, away from their family, away from grace, church. We pray that you would give them a, a church where they're at and, and solid believers around them. And even as, as, as many of our students are going to hear a lot of things that are not from your word and not true, uh, that, that go completely against you and are completely against what we've, what we've heard today, Lord, I pray that you would cause them to be strong and not buckle and not cave in. Lord, we pray that you would protect them, body, mind, soul, spirit, that you would provide for them. We pray that you'd bless their teachers, uh, all their administrators, and all those in their schools. We pray for their relationships, Lord. We pray for their, their choices that they're going to make. We pray that they would have dependence on you and that they would know that you intercede for them with groanings too deep for words and that they would know that you are faithful and know that you're conforming them to Christ and knowing their security is in you. And we praise you, Lord. We, we commit ourselves to you for your purposes, for your glory, for the good of others. In the name of Christ, amen. God bless you.